Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Life is full of what-ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard Fixed Indemnity Insurance Plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Welcome to the latest edition of the Football Writers Podcast, featuring me, Mike Calvin, Jonathan Northcroft of the Sunday Times, and Darren Lewis of the Daily Mirror. This season is, quite literally, at sixes and sevens. Liverpool reasserted their authority by scoring seven at Crystal Palace. Manchester United moved into third by hitting Leeds for six. Now, stop me if you've heard this before, but isn't United a club at odds with itself? Isn't a flawed squad one bad defeat away from another crisis? It feels like the time for what Fleet Street veterans call a reverse ferret. Going into the Christmas and New Year fixtures, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer portrays his team as potential champions. Marcus Rashford says United are one big push away from winning trophies. Ritual optimism? PR platitudes? Or the plain truth? What do you think, Johnny? <laughs> I've been enjoying the nostalgia of reverse fed. I haven't heard that for a, for a while, Mike. I mean, I mean, Manchester United are, 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 have always been in this position since I started covering them 20 years ago. I think they've always been on that knife edge as a club in terms of how they're perceived. Fergie used to say that, you know, Manchester United manager was only only two defeats from a crisis and three defeats from the sack no matter how well he was doing. And, and it's always been thus. So, we're, you know, a few weeks ago, we were saying it was a disaster because they'd gone out of the Champions League in lame fashion. And now they're very much in the mix at the top of the league. Whether they're in the title race, like Ole Gunnar Solskjaer says, or whether they can really pressure Liverpool, I do have my doubts because there's something one-dimensional about Manchester United. When they are allowed to play like they did against Leeds, they're fabulous. They've got such creative attack and talent going forward when the opposition make mistakes and they can pounce on them. Absolutely brilliant. But we know where the flaws are. We, it's in those other games, the games that you need to win to win titles, where you need to dominate, you need to take the initiative, you need to find different ways to break a team down. That I think, you know, we, we just there hasn't been enough sign that, that, that they're mastering that art. In fact, I don't think there's been any sign they're mastering that art. And I think they're still, even now, a team in transition. They're a team in transition that at this point has had a good couple of games. But as you allude to, Mike, they could have a bad couple of games and we could be looking at them in a different way. Yeah, let's let's do the two-year audit, could we, Darren? Solskjaer, no trophies as yet. 
would you say he needs to win one this season at least? Absolutely. I think if he doesn't win one uh, at least this season, then it is still continued underachievement at Manchester United. Uh, I love the fact that, Johnny, you referred to uh, the Sir Alex Ferguson days because I still think that it's a club mired in the, the belief that you can weather the storm from outside because obviously we all know those days when Sir Alex Ferguson was getting it and he stayed and he turned it around. But he had a lot more about him. He was his own man. He had his very clear ideas about the way he wanted to reshape and remodel Manchester United. Solskjaer is a yes man. Solskjaer is a, is a guy who isn't going to challenge the people above him like Mourinho and Van Gaal did. Mourinho obviously walked away, got what he wanted at Spurs and has got them to the top of the league or challenging or launching a more realistic challenge for the title than United. And i tell you why Tottenham's is more realistic, Mike. You cannot win the title if you can't win at home. Now, the win at the weekend, Leeds were so naive they should have been playing in nappies. It was just ridiculous. <laughs> I think as far as the, the way that they'd set up against a quick, creative front line at Manchester United was just crazy to the point of negligent. And if you look at Leeds, they are one of only two teams that United have beaten at home. They've been beaten at Old Trafford by Palace, by Spurs, by Arsenal. They've drawn with Chelsea and City. The impressive away form, it just masks so much, both in terms of their results and in terms of the problems at the club. So can they win the league? Not for me. No, not at all until they can sort out that home form. Until then, if you're doing the two-year audit, Selskjaer's lack of progress is masked by United's position in the league because I look elsewhere around the Premier League. City, okay, they're having a bad start to the season, but the bedrock of what they're trying to do is six, seven clean sheets from their last eight. You look at Chelsea, they've solved the gaps they needed to solve in the transfer market with Mendy and Silva. You look at Liverpool and they're a well-oiled machine and they've got an invincible spirit. Something is broken still at United and I'm not going to be seduced into getting carried away by a big win over an average team. Well, I'm a sucker for uh, seduction. So I'll, 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 actually, <laughs> I'll actually be you know, the devil's advocate here. OK, 26 shots, admittedly against the Leeds team, which I reckon should have been in the NBA. 19, 19 points from the last 21 for United. There were signs against Leeds, and okay, it was Leeds. You've got someone like McTominay actually running beyond the forward players for his goals. Now, that's not being United's strength, probably. Does that suggest, I know we talk about them being in transition, but are they learning on the job, as it were, Johnny? I'm glad you mentioned McTominay because he's an example of somebody who's, you can see his talent being unlocked yesterday. He's been misportrayed or misconstrued, I think, as a defensive midfielder. The boy with his athleticism, his his positivity as a player, can be a fantastic, old-fashioned, number eight, box-to-box man. Now, you're talking about learning on the job. The, the problem, I think, for United is that there's too many players like that where you you get glimpses of what they could be, but they haven't been defined and put into a position that they're going to stick or, or or they haven't found a midfield combination or a front combination that they stick with and that, that that's that's convincing and I hope they can learn because there's such a great team waiting to get out there at least there's a great sort of middle to front team waiting to get out there 
but they still haven't got those combinations right and there's still no sign that they're they're learning what the the the, the, the best the best combinations are i think it would help if they had a, a a number nine a proper number nine that they could then fit all the other bits and pieces around imagine if they had robert Lewandowski or harry kane then they could they could actually you know you could start to look at where mctominay sits and what where what you do with rashford and martial and so on so there is there is a recruitment issue there that they've been left with there is still potential and that's why that's why it's it's so difficult to analyze them because and that's why i said after two years they're still in transition there is all this potential you feel that it, they're crying out for it, it, just somebody to fit all the bits in the right places and stick with it and and get and, and I think the home results would come that thing, consistency would start to come but Ollie who, who I think you know Dan says he's a yes man it's a bit harsh I know what he's saying I know what you're saying Dan because he's not a Ferg he's not a firebrand he has got a bit of steel about him I think but he hasn't shown enough ruthlessness. I have to be honest in the team selection. He hasn't picked that team and and and, and nailed it. And McTominay is an example of a player that there could be a lot more than someone that flits in and out at number six and 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 sometimes plays, sometimes doesn't. And it, it's time, whether it's Ollie or someone else, it's time they work out what that Manchester United team really looks like. Yeah, I mean, I, I think I, I listen. The the aim isn't to sort of. D- deliberately get stuck into to Solskjaer per se but I just think if you are doing that two-year audit he was seen to be fair it, 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 in a way by the time it, it got to the end of Mourinho it was only one but Mourinho he was the perfect antidote to that because he's a legend of the club he's very low maintenance he's fairly self-effacing but if you look at the bench yesterday, they had Bai Mata, Pogba, mm. Greenwood, and Matic, and and Henderson, obviously. Now that's a strong bench. It's a strong team, and 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 they demolished Leeds, as we say. And uh, you know, McTominay is quite a good one because he'd scored six goals in his previous sixty-eight appearances. He scored two in three minutes yesterday because Leeds set up in such a naive way. And it it isn't, it's not his fault, as you rightly say, his his potential's been unlocked. But again, you know, you start to get excited about him. And then you think, what will Solskjaer do with him? Because I, I don't really have a clear idea about what Solskjaer's vision is. I've got a very clear idea about Liverpool, Spurs. Chelsea, but I don't really know what Solskjaer's trying to do at United. And over two years, that's quite, that doesn't reflect particularly well. Well, look, where he should have been stronger, I think, and I, I, his recruitment, because he wanted Erling Haaland. Now, you put Erling Haaland in that team, and it's a different team. You know, he wanted Jaden Sancho, he wanted Jude Bellingham, and the Mourinho's or the Fergie's or the Klopp's, they, 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 nailed, they nailed those things down. They they go to the board and they fight for them, and Ollie hasn't done that. So I would that is a black mark against him. That is a element where he hasn't fought hard enough for that vision. He's he's gone with the flow, and then he's been left with someone like Van der Beek, who he doesn't necessarily want because that's a that's another recruitment decision. Did Ollie Gunnar Solskjaer sit there dreaming of having Odia Nagalo and? Edison Cavani as his as his two number nine options. I don't think he did. So, you know, I, I, yeah, I, I guess I'm I'm kind of I'm half in and half out of that one. 
you do make a point, yeah, about about the the vision and the strength of character there. I think he's got it in him to do it, but he hasn't done it yet. And maybe it's the, maybe it's the precariousness of his job. Maybe he's hung in there and, and hasn't rocked the boat because it's such a precarious job. Yeah, well, we'll find out more, I, th- I suspect, on Boxing Day. First of three BT Sport fixtures, Leicester against Manchester United, second against third. Can I just stay with you, Johnny, since Leicester's a club you know well, does Le- or do Leicester suffer from almost that snobbishness directed towards provincial, in inverted commas, clubs? Definitely. I mean, if we're talking about best of the rest at the moment, you know, they're a, they're a Leicester right up there in second. And because they're a provincial club and they don't get the coverage that others get, their injury crisis, which has been just as bad as, let's say, Liverpool's, has been completely ignored. You know, they, they, they've got to this position, having had to do without Ndidi for a lot of the season, without Soyunku, without Pereira. Castagna's just come back. Huge players, fundamental players for them. And they they got on with things, found solutions, and are where they are. And I, I think there's, 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 there's individual players that are underappreciated, but their consistency is underappreciated. You know, since, since, since Brendan took over, and certainly since the start of last season, they have been definitely one of the best clubs in the country. They don't have as big a squad, which is probably why they just about lost out last year. But here they are again. You know, after they lost out on the last day of last season, we might have expected the a negative reaction. They might fall away. They might lose players. But here they are again. We and and the clearly defined style of football that Darren mentioned that's there in Leicester. You can see how they play. They're lovely to watch. They've got young players that are, are developing. I, I I do think that. Maybe 2015-16 and, and being a provincial club is, is, is what stops them being... If they were West Ham, I mean, how, how much love do West Ham get from the media when they do well? If Leicester did... Well, half, <laughs> half of Fleet Street supports well, them. Well, there man. you go. I mean, if it, was, if it was West Ham doing this, my goodness, Brendan would be Sir Brendan Rodgers already. <laughs> speak, 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 speaking of that, Darren, give me your assessment of, of Brendan Rodgers. You've just come from speaking to... Mikel Arteta, of whom more later, you know, it was a, a pretty obvious knee-jerk response when Arteta was suffering from problems. Oh well, they'll go and get Brendan Rodgers. Well, it's not as simple as that, is it? No, I mean Brendan Rodgers likes to go into a club where there is a plan, a vision. Liverpool had one when he was there. Leicester have one now. It's a very clearly defined structure. Johnny knows more than me, and. They have an emphasis on either sourcing talent, as they did with Soyuncu, early, integrating them into the team well, or or bringing in young talents, like the many they have in the side that are coming to fruition at the moment. And so, even though it's quite frustrating being a Leicester fan in some respects, I would imagine, you can see where they are going and you can see why they are going in the directions that they do. I look at some of their form and I just think to myself, and this is the reason why I say it must be quite frustrating. They're in a good position in the league. But if you look at the teams they've lost to, West Ham, Villa, Fulham and Everton. And these are all teams that, OK, with possibly with the exception of Everton, you would expect to see them seeing off. And then you go back to last season when the lockdown was lifted and they were in a great position 
to seal a Champions League place. And then they blew that too. And it must have been frustrating because the foundations that Rodgers has laid there in such a short space of time do give you cause for optimism. They do leave you feeling we are, we are going in a direction here that is surely going to end up with a return to the Champions League. What do they need? Well, they need more up front. Jamie Vardy scored 13 goals in 15 games, but Iheanacho's only scored one in the Europa League. He hasn't scored any in the Premier League. Cengiz Unda's only scored one so far this season. Ayosi Perez has only scored once this season. There isn't enough backup, and if they lose Vardy, they're in big trouble. Other players obviously can make goals. They'll grab you the odd goal, but without Vardy still, and you look at Vardy's age, you know, really they should have replaced him or at least brought in somebody that could slot straight in a little while ago. So I still think they're going well. They're a very binary team. They're either win or they lose. They've only drawn once this season. I think that was in the Europa League, if I'm not mistaken. Mm -hmm. But I just feel like they need teeth. They need consistency. Sorry, consistency is the wrong word, actually, because I think they have been relatively consistent in terms of winning. But I think they need teeth. They need to kind of get this foothold that they've got and see it through. And then I can start to really think about them as the top four team. Yeah, I understand what you're saying there, Darren. Having said all that, though, I can see Vardy and with James Madison as a, a number 10, really exposing the weaknesses in that United defence, who, frankly, if I was a United fan, I wouldn't be sleeping too easily. You're at, Sorry, I was talking big picture. I wasn't necessarily okay. talking about th this particular match. Okay. I, I think you're right about that. And I just want one last thing. Solskjaer, when, when Johnny talks about Solskjaer not being strong enough, what United really needed in the summer was a, a, a commanding centre-half, a leader at the back with pace to deal with players who keep getting in behind that Man United back line. If Man United players open as they did yesterday, Vardy and Madison, as you rightly say, will get in behind them and will score goals. And I can see Leicester. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, uh, even though United have that fantastic away run, I think I can, I can see Leicester getting in behind them. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, we all know, don't we, Johnny, that major players are are really conscious of their life cycles at particular football clubs. Mo Salah. Do you think there's the, the we've got the first signs of an impending divorce with Liverpool? And does it make sense that he should be courting clubs like Real Madrid and Barcelona? Yeah, I think, are you sort of referring to the interview he did last week, which was... Yeah, and he doesn't speak very often, does he? No, he doesn't, no. I mean, uh, he, he, oh, I mean he's one of the... He's quicker through the mix zone than he is in the uh, into the penalty area. <laughs> uh, he's one of them. Yeah, I mean, from a political point of view, it was an interesting, shall we say, bit of timing and bit of content, that, that interview, to, to, to go to the Spanish press before a transfer window... And then say something that shows you're maybe not entirely happy where you are is is well it's not the most subtle thing I guess it's there's 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 a certain <laughs> a certain point to doing that if if you want to move to Barcelona Real Madrid I mean like look a, a couple of things I think I think Salah in terms of what he said about not being made Liverpool captain in in the European game in the Michelin game I can see his point actually. I mean, yes, Trent Alexander got the armband and that's a just reward for a fabulous young player and local talent. But there's a sense that 
Liverpool that Salah doesn't get entirely the respect he deserves for me. You know, he, he's, he's seen as an individual sometimes. The fans love him, but there's a, still an element that think he should, I don't know, pass more, blah, blah, blah. This is, he has contributed so much to that football club. He's a warrior on the pitch. He takes so many knocks. His, his availability is unbelievable. He's always fit to play. His assist record's fantastic. So this the selfish bit's rubbish. And I think that he... And, he, and he's someone that clearly needs... You can see when he gets substituted, he... He, he he wants it. He wants to be at the centre. And I think Klopp did miss an opportunity to, to give him the armband. He's led Egypt brilliantly and, and, he, and he probably should have done then. Maybe that adds to a few feelings that he's that he's got. But he, he's always also wanted to get to the very top in his career. A hugely ambitious person, which you can, again, you can see oozing out of him every time he plays. And, you know... We do know that, that Real Madrid and Barcelona for non-British players, but maybe even for young British players now as well, represent the pinnacle of football. So it's not it's not a surprise if he has thoughts in that direction. And then you add in Diego Diego Jota's signing, which he's been brilliant this season, but that actually seemed to be a signing for the future at the time to ensure Liverpool against losing somebody from the front line. So it's a long way of saying, yes, I could see him going to Real Madrid or Barcelona at some, <laughs> at some point soon. If they can afford him, that's a big issue. Yeah. Well, Liverpool, Darren, they've got manageable holiday games, West Brom and Newcastle. If they do go on to win the title, would that count, do you think, as Klopp's greatest achievement? Not his greatest. I think winning the title after 30 years will, will, will always be his greatest, but it'll be one of the finest performances in recent seasons, given what they've had to contend with. And given that everybody, myself included, believed that the bedrock of their defensive stability was Virgil van Dijk. But clearly there is a collective mentality at the club that has enabled them to get past that. And, and you know, to go to a place like Palace, I was at Palace last weekend when they held Spurs came from behind so to do and they were they'd been on a good run that was their third and beat in the game I think they beat West Brom five away from home and Roy Hodgson's very conservative in the way he sets up against superior supposedly superior opposition but they were in a good they were in good shape so for Liverpool to go there and do what they did was hugely impressive and I just think overall for Liverpool to get back to the top given what they've had to contend with in this first half of the season massively important going into Christmas because as you probably know for the last five seasons the team top at Christmas has gone on to win the league and in nine of the last 11 seasons that's been the case as well so yeah I, I think for me if he were to get top he's, he's top already if he were to stay top I, honestly I really do think I actually even think to, just to get there now it is outstanding when you consider you know Chelsea spent hugely to have a go. Mourinho's there believing he could have a go. Everyone tipped City, despite what Liverpool did last season. Everyone tipped City, didn't they, t- to win the league? And, and and Liverpool have just risen above them all. Again, they've shot their way out of trouble in many times, in on many occasions. And yeah, I'm all, I'm already sold. But I think if I agree with you, I think if he were to get another title in the circumstances had he's had to contend with even if you just 
sort of apart from all of the other issues injuries covid fixture congestion you've got to put it in brackets egos as well um <laughs> and he's managed yeah. to deal with those too you darren you know uh can i stay with you on this one you talked about spurs earlier on in the show about being still potential champions but surely haven't they missed their chance in what's looking a pretty fateful week you know that that draw that you saw against palace defeat at anfield liverpool's contrasting performance against Palace and then another defeat. Well, I saw a terrific tweet by a colleague of ours, Jonathan Liu, who said that he, he was quite amused at the fact that the mere notion of a title challenge was enough to end Tottenham's <laughs> title challenge. Which was a, <laughs> very good. A brilliant tweet. Very, very good. As only uh, Johnny can sum things up. I don't think they've missed their chance because this season has so many twists and turns and my jaw hit the floor driving back from Palace on that day when I saw that Liverpool had been held at Fulham. And and that's the thing about this Premier League season. You never can hang your hat on any particular fixture going the way you think it will go. But I do think it is the reason why Mourinho started to try and get under the skin of Jurgen Klopp with these barbs about his conduct on the touchline. Whether you believe he has a point or not, it's one of a number of things that he's tried to do. The best team lost, you know, you knock yourself out kind of thing. I think Mourinho has in mind the return fixture between the two teams, Liverpool and Spurs, on January the 26th, I think it is, in London, because he sees that as an opportunity to take three points off Liverpool. The problem is, to put himself in a position to take advantage of that, you've got to beat what's put in front of you at home. And I was really shocked, at, not just at the way that they couldn't break Leicester down, but also by the lack of impact that Gareth Bale had when he came on in the second half. That was quite alarming for me. And I think that might be a conundrum that Mourinho needs to solve if they are going to continue punching their way at the top. OK, let's look at Manchester City, if we could, please, Johnny. They're at home to Newcastle on Boxing Day evening, another BT Sport game. Do you expect them to be major players in January? If you look at it, Dortmund are beset by all sorts of problems at the moment. Do you think they're vulnerable to an approach for Haaland? I think they are. And I think City is a natural destination for him, given his, I think he supported them as a kid and given his family history. And I mentioned Manchester United needing a number nine post-Aguero. And I think we are starting to ease into post-Aguero with his chronic knee problems. City need the same. And... I think Haaland would have a transformative effect on them. A fabulous option. I think they will go from whether it's whether it's something to execute in January or or in the summer. I'm not not I'm not entirely sure because it is it will be it still will be hard to get anyone out of Dortmund in January. I mean, there's a Jadon Sancho situation as well, but I, I don't think City's a destination for him. And of course, there's Lionel Messi, which isn't entirely. That dream hasn't entirely died for City, but I, I, I do think that um, with Laporta standing for election again and, and making signs that he would keep Messi, that that one might just never come off. So, so yes, I think Haaland would be the natural the natural one for City, and, and they are in a rebuilding phase. The, the way their season's sort of stabilising and starting to improve while they're in this period of transition, I think might be quite encouraging because I think next season you'll see something much more like 
the, the Manchester City of Pete Guardiola with a few more signings. And, the, and that programme, Mike, as you, as you allude to, will either it'll, it'll be starting now, whether the signings come in on January or the summer, this will be a phase I think they'll, they'll recruit. Yeah, you know, sometimes talent from within, it withers and then blooms again. Let's look at the re-emergence, if we could, please, Darren, of, of, of John Stones. Seems to reflect really well on him personally and professionally. We, he's even being talked about an England recall. Is that a bit too premature? Not really. I think that I was at the game at Southampton on, on Saturday and to put his performance into context, Southampton had scored on 19 of their previous 20 in 19 of their previous 20 games and, and Stones was very solid. To be perfectly fair, Southampton did miss a couple of opportunities from set pieces that they could stroke should have taken. But at the same time, Stones was very composed. He looks to have had some time in the gym. And after the match, we were asking Pep about it. And Pep was gushing and said his improvement was all down to him. He looked at all areas of his game, his life. And, and let's not kid ourselves, there were elements of his private life that were being played out in newspapers on a Sunday that weren't particularly, uh, I would imagine, pleasing for him. But he has put that all to one side and appears to have regained his focus. And listen, if there is an area of England's team that needs competition desperately, it's centre-half. Because I think we're, we're, we're less convincing at centre-half with England than a health secretary crying on TV. Um, <laughs> and I, I think that um, if, if so, Stones will look at that and think to himself, I've got every chance of breaking into an England starting position if I can continue doing well with City. Okay, let's look at Everton, Johnny, if we could. They're playing also on, on Boxing Day, same time, eight, eight o'clock uh, at Sheffield United. It's a year now since Carlo Ancelotti turned up at. Goodison took the job on the rebound from Napoli and there was a bit of a misconception around wasn't it that you thought okay it's another pension plan appointment what do you think the lessons of his first year at uh, Goodison have been how very good a manager he is and um, how we did get him wrong or not we we because I didn't see him that way but some people did get him wrong they saw him as a Hollywood manager he only does the big clubs forgetting his his roots which was you know, the likes of Parma in, 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 in Italy. And if you've met Ancelotti and, and Darren will have done like 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 me, you realise he's a he's a humble, down to earth, proper football guy. And he's really got stuck into Everton. He's really understood what the club's about. The first thing he did was made them hard to beat and stabilised them again. He's made appropriate Everton signings. You know, Alan's been a, a, a tremendous signing, as has Decore, very Everton-ish midfield players built a beautifully balanced team. And what's impressive at the moment is they're on a, a, a good surge of form despite injuries to the likes of Hammers, to Luca Dean and, and to now Alan himself. And, and and you just see a craftsman at work, a master at work, continuing, and I'd expect him to continue improving that football club. It, it's very open in the top four and they're capable of it. He said that at the weekend. And I think he doesn't. he's not a man prone to hyperbole. If... if, if if he thinks that they can be top four, I think they can be top four. You should listen to him and trust him. Yeah, you've got Ben Godfrey there, haven't you? You know, emerge, em, emerging as a defender of real potential. Yeah, I mean that that's brilliant. The way he's got Godfrey and Holgate playing at fullback and playing brilliantly, and and Godfrey 
in particular, uh, you know, of all the Norwich talents, he was probably the least heralded. It was all about Cantwell and, and Lewis and, and Aaron's, but actually Godfrey just looks like he can play anywhere across the back line and, and a tremendous athlete learning his football well under Ancelotti. Yeah, I've seen him play midfield as well. He was quite handy there. Uh, actually, you know, they are playing Sheffield United, Darren, and, you know, we do probably overemphasise managerial significance. Are they in the situation that relegation is is almost a self-fulfilling prophecy now? And obviously that would point out the, the very small margins in success or failure. But Chris Wilder himself, rationally, you've got to look at this and say, well, he'll be the best manager to get him back up again. Does rationality have any place in football? Sadly not. We work in an industry where (laughs) (laughs) we all know that owners see the bottom line. You know, West Brom have sacked Billich because they want the riches of the top division and also because they see that statistics are there to be ripped up. A couple of things fascinate me about Sheffield United. We all know the work that Chris Wilder's done. We all know that the spirit that he's managed to engender within his squad. But I am fascinated with his handling of Rian Brewster. Because if you spend that much money on a striker, I don't understand why you wouldn't play him. We know that Brewster's a very promising striker. We know that he's a very level-headed young man. We also know that Sheffield United aren't scoring enough goals. So something is seriously wrong if he's not starting football matches. And I think, on the one hand, you would absolutely have sympathy for Wilder. And I think none of us are prone to sort of pushing for a knee jerk. They're losing, so throw him overboard and forget everything that he's done in the past. But if you're losing, if you're in, you know, if you're drowning and someone's you know potentially got the rope that you can hang on to, and metaphorically speaking, that's what Brewster's goals could provide for. Sheffield United well why would you not take that option so uh, I, I am very very fascinated as to why that remains the elephant in the room I know he started yesterday but he came off shortly after half time again that suggests to me something he cannot possibly be happy with that I don't know what your thoughts are on, on that John I I'm, I'm as baffled as you are Dan I thought it was a good signing because they, they picked up a, a potential number nine a reliable Premier League scorer, a real good talent for for you know twenty million quid, and and he, I do get the impression Chef United is one of those teams where you have to fit in. It's like a Burnley in the sense that you have to, hundred percent fit into the manager's, kind of, very rigidly defined way of playing, and maybe. With Brewster, there's going to be a long period of of, of trying to to get him to do that, but. You know, part of growing as a club and as a manager would be to try and broaden out and be able to have slightly different players. You know, Bruce is a Bruce is a very talented finisher who should be allowed to focus on being a number nine and finishing. And it's a it, at the bottom of the league with a talent like that, and you're playing. And apologies to Ollie Burke, but as a fellow Scotsman, I think I can maybe say it: you can't be playing Ollie Burke ahead of Ryan Brewster. Can I just add to that as well? Um, I remember when Sam Allardyce was at Sunderland and he wasn't playing Jermaine Defoe because Jermaine wasn't the big striker that held up the ball or who could get on the end of set pieces that he wanted. And I, I remember talking to Jermaine at the time and he was very frustrated at not getting into the side because he said, I, I might not be his typical 
kind of guy. But if he puts me in, I can score goals. And that's yeah. exactly what Defoe did once he did. And sometimes there is a lot to be said about ad- adapting to the circumstances in which you find yourself. And if you've got Brewster, it, it doesn't help your case or to make the case for you if you're turning down the option to play a striker that many other clubs in and around that area would have taken bitting your hand off for. Yeah, I, I tend to agree with, with you, Johnny, about the, the the Burnley comparison. I think that's very, very strong and probably points up how difficult it is to change the collective culture of a, of a team or a club. And that's where I just can't see the, the Sam Allardyce appointment working for West Brom. I think they'll go down. Yeah, I'd just like to end, if we could, Chelsea at Arsenal on Boxing Day on what I think we should probably call the um, David Luiz derby. Start with Chelsea, if we could, Johnny. Bit of a wobble. What do you think success this season is going to look like for Frank Lampard? I suppose what I'm asking you is what would it take for him to keep his job? He could do with winning something. They probably should win something, given the investment. And he certainly needs to finish in the top four. But I, I've been impressed with how he's moulded all the all the talents, how he's growing the team, how he's improved the defending. These are good signs of progress, but this is Chelsea. So, you know, the owner doesn't necessarily sit down and take a rational look at underlying signs of progress. They, after a couple of years, they lose, you know, Roman loses patience and looks at the bottom line probably needs to win frank but i i i i i think he's i think he's he's doing well i think he's i think he's got it they're gonna have blips i, I hope he I hope he keeps the job you can probably hear the slight resignation i i've had i've had a fear i think you asked me a while ago mike and, and i start last season who was more vulnerable Solskjaer or lampard and i think i said lampard back then and i i kind of feel that's probably still the case in in, in some ways because of the the roman factor but he's, he's doing a good job. Yeah. As I mentioned earlier, Darren, you've just come from speaking to Mikel Arteta. What would the impact of another home defeat on Boxing Day mean? Arsenal's a very febile fan base. Uh, we know that from their fans' TV station, from which rival <laughs> fans take great delight after <laughs> matches. Uh, start the car kind of thing. Um and so if they were to lose, I mean, you have to look at the context of the previous home defeats. Uh, Wolves had won there for the first time since the 70s. Burnley had won there for the first time since the, seven, since the 70s. Villa had gone there and won 3-0 in a result that really did raise eyebrows. Southampton could have won there for the first time since the late 80s. I, I saw that game and I think Southampton were very safety first. And we asked Hassan Hoodle about it afterwards and he just said, I was too worried about what they could have done to us on the counter-attack. But I I read your match report, Johnny, of the Everton game, and and you described very accurately Arsenal style of players, please don't hurt me football. Mm. Uh, (laughs) I kind of hoped I had thought of that line first. So, um, damn you. (laughs) But but you look at the numbers, you know, and I think they've scored 13 goals all season in, in the league. Only the bottom three have scored fewer goals. They've got... 14 points represents their worst start to the season since the 74-75 campaign. And this morning's press conference, it just followed a pattern that all of us, having covered clubs and, and managers, have seen before, where a club's on a horrendous run and a manager says, we're all pulling in the same direction. We, I want to see fighters and all of the usual rhetoric 
but then you look at the performances and they say one thing you don't have a, a dressing room that is fighting for the manager and I, I think another defeat to a Chelsea that have given two of their worst players to actually that's not fair because William was was excellent last season but David Luiz in pre-season last year was off the boil and after a game in Munich I, I was there he, he spoke to me and a, a couple two other journalists who were covering it and he said look we we might have the transfer ban and we might have this and that problem but we're Chelsea and we're going to get through this and we've got the spirit and the players and a week later, he was at Arsenal. <laughs> <laughs> You've been a lovely audience today, by the way. <laughs> but, but, but that, in a way, that's my point because all of us raised issues about giving a long-term deal to William, however good he was last season. A given his age, and B given the fact that you've laid off 55 members of staff, and the optics were bad. The long-term thinking wasn't great, but they went with it and. You know, Williams now one of their worst performing players this season, and you know, again, Johnny, you saw them at the weekend. I'm sure, I'm sure you'd probably add to all of that. Yeah, they were they were they were passive. They were very mediocre, and they they look like they, we've seen it. You know, as you say, Dan, we've seen the press conference situation before. We've seen performances like this before from a team that's that's in this kind of rut where they're they're just afraid to make mistakes. That's what really struck me they they sat behind the ball they tried to play really percentage passes they were terrified to even press properly in case they were caught out of position and you just don't win in sport by by sitting there and and and, and hoping for the best and hoping nothing bad happens to you because the other team will take the initiative and punish you which is what happened and this has been this isn't a, you know this isn't a blip this has been the case since the start of the season the thing that's probably keeping Arteta alive is is that above him, there's a mess. There's not enough authority or or a vision of somebody that really knows what the football club should look like, and so he's staying. And that's not me calling for Arteta's head. He's a young manager, and 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 he, he he's he's shown some very good signs at the start of his reign. He could be a success if 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 there was somebody above him helping, perhaps to to define what what it needs to look like to find a way forward he, that that looks too much for him at the moment as well as learning on the job as a coach and they're in a fearful position that they're, they're, they're in real trouble this season yeah sacking a manager is an admission of failure it's usually a transparent attempt to shift the blame by people who are not as good at their job as the man they're seeking to replace not so long ago i would have scoffed at the idea of arsenal serving up another sacrificial victim. But now I'm not so sure. That says it all, doesn't it? Thanks to Darren and Johnny for their thoughts and to you for listening to the Football Writers Podcast. We send you our best wishes for Christmas. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. 
seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program. Save big money on plant protection supplies. Now at Menards. Defend your garden with Triazicide Insect Killer. Its fast-acting formula protects lawns, vegetables, and many other plants. It kills more than 260 insects by contact, above and below ground. Choose from ready-to-spray, concentrate, or granular. Save big money on Triazicide Insect Killer at Menards. And check out our weekly flyer on Menards.com for all the great deals happening now. Save 